Hello, and welcome to episode 431 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, and it's enough already. I love season long, but let's be honest. It's time to sit down on our desktops like alphas, start compounding some edges, making some real goddamn money. For this discussion, I am once again joined by Mike Leone and Drew Dinkmeyer, King Sharps of the DFS Battleground. Leone, how goes it? I thought this was the how to manage the waiver wire in the main event episode. <laughs> I'm not adequately prepared. Oh god, that episode that episode sounds like that's hell. A, that's a solo episode for you, Leone. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's an ET solo five. Next episode of ET is gonna be Leone just making waiver claims on running backs. Okay. Uh Dink, how's it going? It's great. Uh every day that I don't wake up and have to file waiver claims is a great thing. Today's another one of them. <laughs> On today's show, we are going to talk about projections for fantasy football. You guys hear that word thrown around all the time. You see our projections on the site, but I think it would be really helpful to dive into how we make them, the process behind it, how to use them, possible holes, and more. Before we get into it, important announcement. Our player prop subscription is live on the site. Have to be very clear. This is totally separate from the fantasy subscription this season. Just a total one-off. There's been so much interest in this props thing, and I get it. We've been murdering the books by picking off you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 of their bad prop lines each week compared to our projections, which we'll get to today. But this really is a niche product. You Please, 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 you have to read the FAQ, the information page on props before signing up. Head to the team dropdown or the betting dropdown on the site, and you'll find that page with all the information about props. Also, note that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, this ridiculous $2 million first, $1 million second, $25 buy-in best ball tournament is still running right now. By far the best way to put your knowledge that you've accumulated by listening to this podcast to use. Best way to get ready for your home league. Promo code ETR when you sign up. They will match your first deposit up to $100. All right. Projections. I think some people think they just like come out of a hat and... It's really easy. You just do some nerd math, dump some data in. Next thing you know, you have these incredible projections. We all know that's not true. Let's start here, Leonie. What is our goal when making a projection? Because I'm not even sure people know what it is, mean, median, whatever. What is our goal when making a finished football projection? Yeah, we're trying to determine a mean projection for players, which is their average outcome, um, which is different than a median. A median is just what they would do, like their 50th percentile outcome. And the reason we go mean over median, for most players, the mean is larger than the median because they're going to have a lot of performances where they're low and then some spike performance, ceiling performances that's going to carry that mean higher than what their halfway expectation is. And I think that's an important way to play fantasy football and DFS, whether you're playing cash games or tournaments, ceiling can be pretty underrated. So our goal is we're trying to get a very accurate mean projection. If we were to average all the, they were played this game a thousand times and we took the average of all the results for the player. That's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. And I think an important distinction is that when we're betting props, we want to look at median, right? And, and so you get into a spot where if we have a, we're showing an under, on a mean, well, it's going to be really good because median is typically lower. Dink, I know you were in the prop streets a lot. How do you think about mean versus median when it comes to a projection? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important distinction because on, on the DFS side of things, especially in DFS NFL, right? Like you can have weeks where one or two players just win you your cash games just by them being the players that outscore everybody else. 
and you can have weeks where you know one or two guys lose you your cash games based on you know uh, the the low score that they have. So people often think about median as being trying to like find that middle, but you really want to try to find the high end because you get outsized rewards. The higher end you get in DFS, whether you're playing cash games against a bunch of different opponents or whether you're playing GPPs, you get a bigger percentage of the pot. That's not the case in props. You get the same percentage of the prop. You either win the prop or lose the prop. Mm-hmm. No matter how far you off, you're off, unless you're you know playing on some of these other uh, progressive points bet type scorings and, and whatnot, generally you either win the bet or lose the bet. So the median matters so much more in props, and the mean is the thing that we we aspire to project correctly in DFS. Okay. The math behind the projections, Leonio, I don't want you to get into it. I want you to reveal the secret sauce, but maybe you give some... Uh, macro outline how deep is the math any details that you want to share about the model that goes into making all these projections yeah i mean we're trying our best to account for everything possible to give us the most accurate projections as possible so when i say account for everything in terms of context we're looking at a player's history to try and determine their true skill level like what is cooper cup's true catch rate like what should it be moving forward then we're going to take that catch rate and we're going to combine it with what's the weather like what's the game total like who's his quarterback to give the catch rate for that specific game so we're morphing all these things together and we're doing that both on the individual player level as well as on the team level we're looking at you know kansas city what's their pass rate been the last two years like let's wait recent performance a little bit more but let's not just look at pass rate let's look at pass rate over expectation and compare that to what the vegas line is for this game and put that all together to try and give us the best insight we can as far as team play calling that's going to flow through to the player's volume the player's volume is going to be combined with all that efficiency stuff that i mentioned to get their stat lines and then come up with the final dfs projection okay so now we have the model we've accounted for what we think is important where do we go from there because anybody can just do some math model i think what makes i think us unique is an ability to not only do the math but also get the football stuff right so where do we go once we have the model yeah and we actually have a few different models for some of this stuff which is really helpful so that we don't get tailored to one model that maybe is overfitted a little bit and it just gives us a better idea on the range of outcomes for where this projection should be so we have those models what do we do uh i mentioned cooper cup a player like him sometimes can be difficult who has an outlier season like last year where uh we have like his catch rate you know if you regress it based weight his recent performance maybe it's in the 70 percent, and our models want to give him 66 percent. so there's some of that where we need to make a manual decision as to do we trust the algorithm or is there something going on here that should have us boost? And that's where it's really helpful to have a huge team of people working on it. Someone like yourself, Silva, the sharp football minds to make its determination there. Probably more important than that though, is grinding all the volume inputs. So that's a process that's almost entirely manual or we have research to help us decide what target share do we give Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey. We have a lot of stuff to run to aid us in doing that, but essentially it's it's me, Jack, Mark, everybody trying to make those predictions each week. And it's really advantageous again to have that huge team because we can go and give the base projection early. And then someone like Gary or yourself can or Evan can know like a wide receiver cornerback matchup. And maybe we uptick Juju like a, a small percentage point from where it should be based on that qualitative information. One of my issues, Dink, has often been the sensitivity of 
the inputs. And I know you guys on the NBA side and us on the NFL side, we spend such an insane amount of time and effort. And I don't think people realize just how hard it is to go in for every single player on every single slate and say exactly what their target share is going to be, exactly what their carry share is going to be. But my point has typically been, look, man, if you think that Juju is going to get 20% of targets and I think he's going to get 24, that doesn't sound like a big difference. That could be a huge change in their value. So people say, Adam, you're playing a cash team that's four (laughs) points off of the optimal. Are you crazy? Well, listen, man, it's very sensitive to to exactly those inputs. So how do you think about that, Drew, when it comes to doing projections? Yeah, I think this is, you know, one of the, you know, last remaining edges in DFS. There's there's still a few to to be able to hammer out there with understanding what contest to enter, that fit, creating lineups for those specific contests, uh, the, the way you construct lineups and different things. But I also think interpreting projections is one of the biggest edges left in DFS because so many people are just using projections blindly at this point. I mean, we used to be playing in a game where very few people were even using projections. So using projections blindly was very, very profitable. But now such a large percentage of your competition is using those projections. So you have to be able to form an understanding of where there might be holes or vulnerabilities in those projections. And as somebody who works on them consistently day in and day out on the NBA side, you start to develop an understanding for that. And that's one of the things that we try to communicate in all our content, in our live shows, in our podcasts, in our uh, articles and top plays and whatnot. We're trying to communicate where there's vulnerabilities in the projection because you could have two players projected for the same exact market share on two different teams and one you feel very confident in and the other you don't feel very confident in because it's an unknown situation that's evolving in front of you and understanding where you might be able to add that qualitative context on top of what the projections currently spit out is where I think there's still edge left in DFS. Yeah, I mean, just blindly using the projections and hitting run is not a way to be successful. And that's why we have all the content and shows around it to try to explain what's going on in the projections. The other thing I want to ask you about, uh, Leone, is outliers. You mentioned Cooper Cup. You know, the model has a hard time with these massive outliers, i.e. Derrick Henry or Cooper Cup or whatever. And people will say, well, all you have to do is turn on a game and watch Derrick Henry play. And you can see that this dude is one of the biggest freak outliers of all time. How can the model not see that? So what do you think about some of these outlier guys? I mean, I, I got it shoved down my third on Tyreek Hill for a long time before I just like submitted to him being an outlier also. Yeah, I think some of the things we're doing, I mentioned waiting recent performance a little bit more. We've seen that to improve the accuracy of our baselines and whatnot puts us in a pretty good position. Sometimes you do have to make a judgment call. Debo Samuel is another one where the yards per catch that the algorithm spits out versus what he's actually doing is very variant. And a lot of times we'll, we'll split the difference to an extent. I mean, that just sounds easy, but like that's in some ways the smartest way to do it. But we always do want to point out, we always remember the outliers that persist. We don't remember yeah. the guys that would have been outliers, but they came yeah. back down to earth. So that conversation sometimes is a bit unfair where all the examples that are used are the guys that survived and we don't use any of the examples of the guys that didn't survive. So ultimately sometimes these guys that are having these nutty seasons, we might be a little bit lower week to week on them, but even someone like Cooper cup, if you look at our projections last year, like I felt like we adjusted to that pretty quickly. Maybe we were behind a little bit on the efficiency standpoint, but volume sometimes is a little bit easier to be quicker on. You know, there's yeah. some other metrics that we can look at to make us feel better about the volume being there. A- the efficiencies where 
were a little more conservative in terms of adjusting that super fast. That's that that was exactly my point. The one that she, that you made. People always want to say, "Hey, I watched this guy. He's the biggest freak. He's the biggest outlier of all time, or whatever." And I picked and I picked. There's like a graveyard of people who have lost all their <laughs> money trying to pick out outliers. Um, and you know, only Derrick Henry and Tyree Kill or whatever are the ones that that persist, as Leone said. Inputs, I and mean, I know we, we kind of glossed over it, Dink. I don't want to gloss over it because it is like, I think, one of the most important things. I mean, we're spending multiple people, an entire team, almost around the clock working on inputs. Dink, how do you think about doing that and doing it well? And I, it's just like, I just feel like it can't be replicated. I mean, it's just like so much, so much work and understanding of the game. Yeah, so I think there's a couple different things to to the inputs. It, having managed projection teams now for a decade around around this stuff in DFS, that's really important. Is one is is continuity and having people who have experience doing the process, and the other is collaboration. Because ultimately, if you have people that just work kind of individually on different games, you might have some people who have biases within their own types of ways of of coming up with inputs that you might not even be aware of. Like some, some people might be naturally more optimistic. So they might naturally uh, lean on, on the, best, the best case scenario for someone. And when you have a team that's collaborating on these things, those opinions get sort of muted out and joined by consensus. And that's something that's really, really valuable because you might have your own blind spots, right? Like we know Mike is a homer for the Bills. So he's been projecting the Bills like crazy for years and years. If it wasn't for Mark and the rest of the team to keep him in check, you know, we wouldn't have these Josh Allen 45-point projections that Leone would be putting out there. So you you have the team and the collaborative effort to be able to kind of mute the individual biases that each of us have. And a lot of times we rely on systems and models and algorithms to mute those biases. But in these cases where a lot of times you're trying to project volume for situations you've never seen before, the data that, you know, a model is not really helpful in that experience. That's where you need the human hands-on experience of talking through, okay, well, we have a somewhat similar situation week three of this year where they were down two of their top wide receivers. It's not the same two that they're down now, but how did things shake out in terms of the snaps there? And you have all these different ideas on ways to attack the problem that I think give you the best result in terms of diversity of opinion and consensus. Also to what Drew's saying about muting bias, obviously our primary goal, especially for props, like we want to nail the projection as accurately as possible, but a secondary goal is to nail the projections relative to one another. Like that's extremely useful for DFS. So we want to make sure we're treating all teams similarly, where we're not overly optimistic on one team and then treating another team completely differently. And then we get this projection gap that isn't a result of the accuracy of the model or anything, or the accuracy of anyone's thoughts. It's the result of two different biases and how we approach the team. So getting things in a, in a way where they make a ton of sense relative to one another, there's obviously going to be projection error. It's impossible not to, but if we can have them as accurate as possible overall and relative to one another, that's going to make them more useful. Yeah. By the end of the season, no one on the projections team will have any cock left. They've just grinded their cock right to the nub from grinding the decimals too hard. Uh, anyways, ceiling. Leonie, we've layered in ceiling projections. We have ceiling projections on the site. How do you go about layering in ceiling to base and also to come up with ceiling projections? Yeah, it's it's a challenge. And I think one that I've been excited to take on, we introduced our ceiling projections last year, which is roughly like an 80th percentile outcome for a player. And essentially what we're doing is we're looking at our past projections and where there's more variance in projecting different stat categories and whatnot to help us arrive 
at that number. We've also layered in this year some stuff that's a little more dynamic in terms of combining, um, you know, not just the individual stat categories in a vacuum, but how they work together in certain game environments. So looking at different clusters of player types and some player comparison stuff and been able to work that and to hopefully edge our ceiling you know, projections in a, in a more dynamic and more accurate way. And you find a lot of really interesting stuff on the Million Maker episode that we recorded. I talked about running backs that have a diversified but not huge workload. And these types of backs like an Aaron Jones, a DeAndre Swift, end up with really high ceilings relative to base projection because they can get there with what we're projecting as is, but they have room to grow in their workload. Whereas someone like, um, I don't want to use Derrick Henry, his ceiling's huge too for different reasons, but someone like Derrick Henry, like we can't give him more rush attempts, right? Like we're already at the max. Uh, so that's been very helpful in terms of figuring out ceiling. We've also seen quarterbacks like Tom Brady, I think, get a unfair sort of connotation with them that they're not high ceiling quarterbacks, these pure pocket passers. But in today's NFL, where teams are really high scoring and really pass heavy, that actually is untrue. You know, someone like Brady does have a really high ceiling and our models picking up on that and it helps us to remove our bias. The final thing I want to mention in terms of the ceiling, there's sort of two things to look at. The number you're seeing takes into account a lot of the let's assume Derrick Henry's 23 point projection is accurate. What's his range of outcomes based on that being accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and different guys are gonna have different variances off of that. That's the number you're seeing. The number you're not seeing is again, so something Ding said earlier, well, what are the chances that number 23 is accurate for Derrick Henry? We probably feel pretty good because we have such a history of his workload and whatnot, but there might be other situations like week one with Brees Hall and Michael Carter, where we're projecting them each for 12 points. But if we were to reproject this game in the future, maybe Brees Hall's at 16 and Michael Carter's at nine. And those types of guys sometimes can be worth taking a shot on in tournaments because everybody's using projections somewhat blindly sometimes and they're not seeing that. So um, that's something I wanted to make a note of. Yeah, I'm curious, Dink, when you're building, are you building through ceiling or base projections? Because on the site, you can sort by yeah. both. And in the Opto, you can you can build by ceiling projections. When you're building NFL lineups, do you like to build through ceiling or base? I build through ceiling uh, entirely. I mean, I'm a GPP bro, so no cash games for me. So only only ceiling. And I'm adjusting some of those ceiling rankings on individual players with those situations that Mike might be alluding to that I think you know our base number that's giving a ceiling projection might not be representative of something that's taken into account in the base. There might be a situation where like, I know there's fragility in this situation and I wanna bet on this one player coming out ahead of the other group uh, in this unknown situation that we're trying to project. And so those types of things, I will often make edits to, you know, probably I'd say probably a handful, five to 10 player projections I will edit the ceiling on during the course. And sometimes it's editing higher, sometimes it's editing lower on a player that I think like we are fully projecting this player. So I get this is their ceiling, but I actually think there's paths to this projection um, coming down a little bit in terms of like may maybe, you know, maybe they've got a, a, a questionable tag on an ankle injury or something like that, which mm -hmm. the projection team takes into account, but I might qualitatively think is more of a risk than what they're currently baking in, those types of things. Yep. I know the only doesn't want to hear this, but holes in projections. We need to talk about holes in projections. You know, my thing is always has always been that two guys can have the same projection and one could be an awful playing cash 
and one can play be a really good play in cash due to their range of outcomes. And you know, the NBA side is is a good example where hey, listen, we think that some punt guy is going to play 16 minutes, but he could also play two, right? And you could just be totally dusted. And I don't want to play that guy, especially in tournaments at at really high ownership. I think in the NFL, it's a little bit different, but we do get into some spots like that. So there's a lot of volatility. There can be a lot of volatility in the actual inputs. And so ranges of players that have the same base projection can be way, way, way different. And I think that to me is the biggest thing for understanding where holes can be in projections. Leone, any other things to note for people who are like, hey, I think that we can take advantage of some holes or some assumptions that they're making that maybe I don't want to make? Yeah, I think it's good to be transparent about all this stuff. Um, So some of the holes a little bit, like we run a little hot sometimes on high volume players, which can be difficult to project because you know, there's a lot of room for them to miss that high volume. And it's tough for a player like Derrick Henry, who's consistently hits that volume. Oh, but then he gets hurt a game or real bad game script. And he's way lower on that volume. So sometimes we're a little hot on those guys. Uh, as far as the ceiling projections, they're getting better each and every year. But what's a huge advantage for us is those are based off our past projected context, which like, I can't drill home enough, like how important that is because we're capturing the context of the player going in and the ceiling based off that, not something with hindsight bias. So that's a huge plus. The negative is we have, you know, two years of historical projections. So these will get better as the sample size increases. So those are like a couple of spots where I think, think there's a little bit of holes. Sometimes with quarterbacks, it can be difficult. The guys like Joe Burrow, who we don't have for a ton of volume, but could go nuclear in terms of efficiency. We yeah. might undervalue them. A little bit and of course each and every year we're looking at this stuff in the off season to try and improve better and better but those are a few spots where yeah if you haven't you know you have a thought like oh you know i think we could use the burrow double stack like you did last year like we know the ceiling's there even though the projections might not like it um you know that makes a ton of sense to do the the full-blown ikb stuff ikb i i know i know better is to me on the vault on the input so in other words mm-hmm. let's say for the week upcoming i think that Braxton Berrios has the best matchup, and I think he has uh, some bro bond with Zach Wilson. And Bra- Braxton Berrios is actually going to lead the team in targets this week, not Elijah Moore. I can IKB that, you know, and like I think straying too far from that. Obviously, Braxton Berrios is an extreme example, but like IKB on the actual inputs for the shares to me is where people want to get weird. If you have a feeling about a usage situation that a lot of other people are just going to be playing it off the base projection. Dink, anything else you think about in terms of assumptions or holes that we can take advantage of? Yeah, so I also think you want to think contextually around what salary you're paying to take on that risk of the projection being off, right? So like, you know, the Braxton Berrios example is a player that would probably be really cheap in those situations. So you're not really getting hurt a ton if you mistake uh, that call. Whereas if you are making a outsized play on a 10k player that you think the projection is just way too low right like if you are wrong and the projection is right and nobody else is playing that like you're you're in a lot of trouble because you've allocated a ton of salary to this so i also think in terms of like understanding your range of outcomes on the decisions that you're making relative to the salary that you're putting in your lineups um i I think those are, are are really really important points and the one thing i wanted to you know piggyback on with mike talking about maybe slightly over projecting the really high volume guys is one of the toughest things it's the same thing that we struggle with in nba with players that play a ton of minutes 
And generally you'll see these box scores where the guys played like 35 or more minutes in like seven straight games, but on the season might average like 32 and a half. And the reason they average 32 and a half on the season is because of those situations where there's blowouts, there's injuries, there's foul trouble or whatever that brings them down. And you want to be able to account, even though it's looked really consistent, the volume and the opportunities of late, you there's always more room to miss on the downside than on the upside with the highest projected players in terms of playing time, in terms of opportunities, in terms of volume. And so just understanding that, you know, even when you try to be a little bit more conservative, your eye wants to go to, well, this is what they're doing pretty consistently. Uh, but you tend to like discount or make excuses for the situations um, where, where, you know, it gets weird injury um, in, in game injury in an in NBA foul trouble, different things like that, that could skew minutes, blowouts and so on. Last thing, I, so like two, two final things I wanted to note uh, along on this conversation too. I think with the IKB stuff, it's important in tournaments to take into the context, not only the salary, but what the market's doing. So if you're IKB and Juju because you think his target share should be higher and he's not going to be played, that's that's a smart IKB to make. If you're IKB in that into ownership, yeah. maybe it's better to trust the projection. And then the exact opposite situation plays out. Adam, when you finish second, and hit that 250k on FanDuel, you played Rex Burkhead, where it's like, you know, no one wants to play Rex Burkhead. No one thinks Rex Burkhead has a high ceiling. But at a certain point, you look at what the field's doing, what the projection is. Those there might be some situations to blindly trust the projections because you're getting the appropriate return. And then the second thing I wanted to note, just going back to grinding the inputs. So I think sometimes there's an assumption that projections are too conservative. But we're willing, if the information's there and we feel strongly to take bold stances, particularly on player volume stuff and to shift stuff quickly. In fact, you know, I, I hit on the Cooper Cup thing. I thought we adjusted to that well. And in the playoffs last year in particular, like we diagnosed the Buffalo Bills situation really well with Gabriel Davis playing all of the snaps with the starters week one versus the New England Patriots. A lot of people being worried that was still a mix of him, Cole Beasley, and Manny Sanders. And we had one of you know the most bullish bullish stances on him going into that game against Kansas City. Obviously, we got very lucky with the outcome, but we I just wanted to use that example to show that like we're grinding, and if we find something that we think's real, we're not afraid to move and move on it quickly. And, and that was my point. A lot of people can have the math down. A lot of people can have the football down, but being able to combine it and understand that, hey, we have all the math behind this, but then we also are football aware enough to understand that Gabe Davis's role is changing. That's how you really hit the nuts. And the last point that I wanted to make that Leone brought up, you know, if a guy is, and you can just sort by value in our projections, if you have the in-season subscription, you just sort by value, which is basically a formula that shows how uh, the projection interacts with salary. If someone is a really good value, and I believe Rex Burkhead on that slate when I won was the uh, third or fourth best running back value we had, but his projected ownership was like 5%, it's just always going to be a good play. Like, no, no matter what you think, it's just... 5% and one of the best values on the slate. It's just always going to be a good play. Nobody wanted to play the guy. I didn't want to play the guy, but he was projecting well and he wasn't going to be owned. It's just always going to be a good play. So um, yeah, about the Rex. All right. I've said enough nerd talk here for one day. Stay tuned for Thursday showdown. Opening showdown. Massive, massive DFS tournament. And then of course, the main slate on Sunday, expecting absolutely outrageous amount of action for week one. If you've not picked up the in-season package just yet, covers everything that we do on the DFS side, including 
all of our projections for every slate, ownership base, ceiling, etc. Four, Leone. Four, Dink. For producer Luke, I'm your King GPP bro. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.